Well, good morning. morning. And it is a good morning, isn't it, when we can come to our God and stand in grace. And when we can speak to him and he speaks back. And he has words of grace for us. Well, it's been a whirlwind of a weekend getting to meet many of you. And I'm excited to come and share and exhort you from God's word. So if you would, open up with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. You're gonna, we're going to be looking today at verses 14 to 27. 14 to 27. This is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. And the scribes were arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd said, and answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can approach you. We thank you that you have not only made a way for us to come, but that you command us to come and hear your word spoken to us. We thank you that you have given us a word which is sufficient, one that is necessary, one that is absolutely authoritative, and one that's clear. Lord, we thank you for the clear picture of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have in this passage, in this text, 
Oh, that Christ would be magnified this morning. Oh, that Christ would be made much of. Lord, let me disappear that Christ may be seen. I pray that you would give me unfettered liberty as I exhort from this passage. I pray that you would give me clarity and cogency. I pray that your spirit would be here with us as we hear about your Son, Jesus. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Gossip. Everybody loves gossip. Well, in Charlotte, there is circulating a bit of gossip about Christ Ridge. It's only a bit of chatter. It's a bit of buzz. It's only a little bit of gossip. It's a little rumor that Christ Ridge cares about people who are hurting. That Christ Ridge is a place where you can go when you're hurting, when you need a Savior. That through these doors, you can hear about the Lord Jesus Christ who cares for the wounded and for those who are weak. What a wonderful reputation. That's what I've heard, and that's what I've seen. What a wonderful reputation. So what I want to do today is simple. I want to encourage you to keep up that reputation. I want to draw your attention to this episode out of Jesus' life where he shows us his power and his mercy. Let me draw your attention to the Lord Jesus Christ who has a message for you this morning. And that's this. The Lord Jesus Christ, he cares for you. And he calls you to deeper faith in him. We'll see this message in three movements, or what we'll see as three points in this passage. The first movement shows us what our disputing does to the doubting, even though Jesus goes for the deeper issue. The second movement is that since Jesus is all-powerful and kind, he calls us to deeper, stronger faith in him. The third movement is that deeper faith in Jesus will face deeper difficulty. Let's look at the passage You know, if you scan the context, you'll see earlier in the chapter, Jesus has just shown his glory in the transfiguration up on the mountain. He showed some of his disciples his power and his glory, and now they've come down from the mountain. And after coming down from the mountain, Jesus looks over, and what does he see? They saw a great crowd around them. Who? The disciples. Jesus comes down from the mountain and he sees a scene. The scene is this. His disciples are surrounded. There's a great crowd, and in the center of the crowd, there are these scribes who are experts in Jewish law and theology, and they are disputing and debating the disciples, and the disciples are losing. 
And as you know, the bigger the crowd, the, the larger the audience, the angrier the argument. Things are about to get ugly. But then someone spots Jesus, and, and they all start rushing over. Can you see the scene? They were all greatly amazed, it says in verse 15. And they greeted him. They're shouting out greetings as they approach him. Well, then in verse 16, it says, Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them, my disciples? Then a man from the crowd, he he steps up. And in verse 17, this man from the crowd says, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And he goes on to recount what his son has suffered. Terrible suffering. This demon has possessed this boy so that he convulses and seizes and he throws him down and he foams at the mouth. And this suffering, this suffering that the father has seen in his son has just about broken him. father continues with the story, and he tells Jesus how, Jesus, I came and I brought the boy, and I couldn't find you, so I went and I found the disciples. But the disciples were not able to cast it out. Were not able. Look at the ending of verse 18. And so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. The disciples were not strong enough to cast out this demon. Well, when this man approaches Jesus, we make contact with our daily lives already. We make contact because when the man approaches Jesus, he approaches Jesus in the context of this debate, this debate that's going on where they're arguing the finer points of exorcism. And you know what? This father cares little about the debate. When someone sits before you suffering, when life has just about crushed them, how do you respond? I remember one friend of mine faced significant suffering in his life. And so he went to a more philosophically minded friend And that friend, he raises all these finer points, these acute problems, these profound questions. But friends, finer points like these at this time, they don't alleviate suffering. Not like this. Not this way. But coming to Jesus does. Suffering is better answered by by simple promises spoken in integrity and with sincerity. You might imagine a different scene, an alternate universe where perhaps instead of the disciples getting into this debate with the scribes, they just sit with the man and they say, listen, Jesus is coming soon. He'll fix it. Can you imagine where this man might be instead? But that's not what happened. 
Instead, the disciples and the scribes, they disagree, dispute, debate, and they argue. And what disputes do is weaken faith, deepen doubt. Disputes in the wrong place about the wrong thing at the wrong time damage faith. But then Jesus comes. He comes. Verse 19, and he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to bear with you? How long am I to be with you? Gentle and lowly Jesus bemoans the situation. He bemoans what is before him. He doesn't weigh in on the controversy. He doesn't weigh in on the debate. He mourns what faithless society he's lived in. You know, if you look back at verse 15, it says the crowd, when they were running, they were greatly amazed. Amazed but faithless. Entertained. But not believing. And so gentle and lowly, Jesus bemoans the situation. And you can hear him as his heart longs for the new day. When he longs for his kingdom to come in power and glory. Well, if you follow this story so far, you'll have seen how this father brought his boy to Jesus' followers in faith. And yet they failed him. The followers of Jesus failed him. We see that today, don't we? You might be sitting there as one who has been failed by followers of Jesus. But notice that the Father comes again. That the Father comes back to Jesus The father whose faith is fragile from this failure comes back. Maybe that's where you are. You've been failed. You've been let down, and yet you're back. You're back to Jesus. You came back to the master. Well, now Jesus responds, and consider how he responds. He responds with compassion. He commands for the boy to be brought. And while we may not associate compassion with command, that's what Jesus is doing. He's compassionately receiving this father's problem. Isn't that amazing? The scene, massive audience, debate. Who's the least important person in this story? Who's the weakest and most fragile And yet the very one whom Jesus pays attention to. It's the Father and the Son. Jesus disregards the debate and he goes for the deeper issue. He pushes past and he sees a father. And he prioritizes this weak father, this hurting, suffering father. And Jesus acts. Having seen Jesus push past the finer points of debate and prioritize the father and the boy, we'll look at the second movement of the text where we will see how Jesus draws out deeper faith from the doubting father. Jesus is all-powerful, 
And he wants us to know that. And he wants us to believe that. Even in dark situations such as this. Look at verse 20 and 21 again. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Notice something. The pace at this point of the story is really choppy. There's a demon who's uh, taken this boy now and thrown him to the ground. He's convulsing. He's going all about. As a parent, your adrenaline would be pumping. And yet Jesus, what does he do? He asks a question. Look at it. You see in 20, convulsing, throwing on the ground, rolling, foaming, and Jesus asked his father. So how long has this been happening. Maybe you've been there. Or you needed a mighty deed and Jesus came with a word. It's so strange, isn't it, that Jesus stops and in the heat of the moment, he asks for backstory. Backstory, words to a situation that needed action? It sounds almost like a detached physician performing an interview before treatment. What's going on here? The father has come out of desperation, and he's been looking to Jesus for this mere miracle. He came to Jesus for power, but not for the person of Jesus. It's like the prayer that is prompted by the police pulling you over, that throw up that you do, or when you have an exam that you just haven't studied for. Lord, help me. Mere miracle. Power, but not the person of Jesus. Jesus will do nothing short. He'll settle for nothing short of a relationship. How do you start a relationship? By a conversation. Jesus is no detached physician looking at a patient. He's a concerned friend. He's a concerned friend looking at both the Father and the Son because he realizes that the Father is in just as dire straits as the Son. Jesus is asking for backstory so the Father unburdens his heart. so that the Father is able to process just for a second all that's happened before Jesus acts. And he asks for compassion. The Father tells Jesus, it's been happening for many years. It does all of this different things to destroy him, fire and water. And then look at this in the middle of 22. But if you can do anything... Have compassion and help us. Could you even, do you hear it? Even in the desperate request, doubt. If you can do anything. And yet, at least in some sense, the Father knows what to ask for. He asks for compassion. He must have heard about Jesus, who is known for how compassionate he is to the hurting, to the sick. 
The Gospels often record, uh, record this happening as Jesus' compassion for great crowds. And compassion is a special word. It's the kind of word that is an emotional response that you have when someone you love deeply is hurting deeply. And for most of us, that kind of emotion, that kind of emotional response that you have is only accessible by a few people, by a select few. But in Jesus, we see this term used frequently because he has an infinite heart with infinite depths like a mine that goes down and down and is filled with precious jewels. And Jesus moves toward the Father in compassion. And yet, it's not exactly what we might imagine, is it? Look at verse 23. And Jesus said to him, again, we're still with the words. Jesus said to him, If you can... All things are possible for one who believes. It's amazing that Jesus, in the midst of this problem, he calls for deeper faith from the Father. He wants to draw out faith. If you can, you notice that in 23 where there's the extra little quotation marks around it, Jesus is quoting back the words from the Father back to the Father. He's like a surgeon that's isolated and located the problem, the problem point in what the Father has asked, if you can. The problem with the if is that when we approach God with if, we reduce God's credit in answering it. Because if there was doubt that he could actually do it, then how do we know he actually was the one who had it done. Mm, But Jesus moves to the Father, but he doesn't leave him there. He makes this theological statement about God's power. Notice in verse 23, all things are possible for one who believes. This is not a health and wealth prosperity gospel that Jesus is touting. This is solid theology. This is theology about a God who is infinite and sovereign and all-powerful and almighty. And Jesus is calling the Father to have that kind of faith. He wants to draw it out of him so that what happens is not going to reduce God's credit. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we can likely name many times where we feel like God has made a mess of our lives. Or we felt like, no, mm, not anything is possible for those who believe. And this feeling can especially affect our prayer lives, where even though we may have Calvinistic words, our hearts may not be. They might have more of the if-you-can flavor than we'd like to admit. Or maybe some of us may be in a position, some of you may be in a position where you've stopped praying for that thing altogether. You've given up on that disappointment. But Jesus wants you to believe him. He wants you to take him at his word. He wants you to trust him. Well, then in verse 24, 
We're, we're, we're jarred over to the shot of the father, if you can imagine it with me. And it says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. There's this moment of conviction, this flash of conviction that the father has where he realizes what he just asked for and how it was laced with doubt. There's this outburst of asking for help and he realizes his own, his own desperate need for faith. But did you notice the difference in the request? First, he says, have compassion on us. But now he says, help my unbelief. Help me. Help me. Why do these words resonate so deeply with us? Because we're, we're like the Father. We're, we're mixed bags. We're right there with the Father because, because God, we believe you intend our, our good, but bad keeps happening. God, we believe you love us, but we can't accept it. God, we believe that you are our heavenly Father, but, but bad just keeps on happening. Well, Jesus is drawing out deeper faith, and he does that with the Father because he wants us to come to terms with where we are. I want to just pause and make two observations that I think might comfort us. And when we're comforted, we might be able to draw deeper into the arms of Jesus. First observation is that, notice, notice that in the midst of how difficult the situation is, that small faith, weak faith can cry. The father cries out in faith, I believe. Notice he does believe that his small faith, no matter how fragile, no matter how weak, it can still cry. A baby is very small, but it can cry. Weak faith can cry. And then second observation is that even in the throes of doubt, the father realizes that he has faith. I believe even if he realizes also that he disbelieves and he needs help. There are going to be moments where you feel like that. I believe, but I also struggle to believe. This text shows us just a little bit of comfort that we can have. Now, the story's not over yet. The deepened, bigger faith of the Father will face trials right away. Look at verse 25. And when Jesus saw a crowd running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Jesus responds to the Father's profession. He responds to the Father's request, and he answers him. Jesus doesn't say, I find your lack of faith disturbing. He responds and he answers in compassion. And he demonstrates his ability to do all things. Actions speak to character, and this is the kind of character that Jesus has. Jesus is the kind of king, the kind of Lord who uses his power for his people. That's the kind of king that he is. 
But, but notice verse 26. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. Let's be honest. Do you ever bring a problem to Jesus and it just gets worse? You bring something to him and the initial result isn't peace but conflict? It it, it isn't resurrection but suffering? When you bring something before God, it can cause deeper unraveling and deeper breaking before healing and hope can come. But, but healing and hope can come. Why and how? How can hope and healing come, whether in this creation or the next? Here's why. Because God the Father sent God the Son to die, to really die. And he gave up his son, his son to face deepest darkness, to be forsaken by the Father on the cross. You see? This son can live because that son died. This father can have his son because the true father, the true son, was given up. We can have faith in the God who can do all things because there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, in true faith, the truest faith that has ever walked the earth, said, Father, I believe you can do all things. And then he went to the cross. That's the kind of king that we have. That's the kind of Lord that we serve. And because of that, we can bring him all of our problems, all of our weaknesses, all of our wounds, and we can find healing, whether here or there. Look at verse 27. I love this ending. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Do you feel the gentleness of the Lord? All throughout Mark's gospel, he picks up people, takes them by the hand, and he raises them up, and he stands them on their feet. That's the Lord Jesus. That's our God. What a king we serve. Hail the Lord's anointed great David's greater son, the true king who advances his kingdom not by sword, but by a cross, and before that by a bandage, by healing and by taking a boy and bringing relief to pain, calm to chaos. Your deeper faith will deal with deeper difficulties, especially when you use it and when you bring it to Jesus. You might be sitting there doubting still that, no, the Lord has messed up my life. You might be sitting there thinking about that disappointment or that death or that death of a dream. But, but he hasn't made a mistake. And we can find comfort and we can know that because we can look at the cross If he was wise enough and powerful enough to accomplish our salvation through that means, what will he not give us? 
I can tell you this, that if you are in Christ, even by small faith, he will one day raise you up by taking you by the hand and raise you up to resurrection and eternal life. Let me end by asking a question. Where are you in this text? Are you a part of the crowd waiting to see what happens? Entertained but uninvolved? Are you the scribes disagreeing, disputing? Are you the father hurting and scared, believing and doubting? Are you the son? As the church, we're called to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether you're weak or you're strong, you have a place. This text is talking to you. If you're strong, go tell somebody how it all turns out. If you're weak, go ask somebody how did it turn out. Well, wherever you are, here's the point. Come to Jesus. Bring your deaths, your disappointments. Bring to him what's most important to you. And you can trust him with it. Let me pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son. Thank you that your Son is gentle and lowly and yet calls us to deeper, stronger faith in him. Lord, I pray that you would give us that stronger faith, that you would give us that hope in the new creation, that you give us the hope of the kingdom of God coming in power and glory. I pray that you would um, hear our thoughts and our meditation in our hearts, and I pray that it would be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen.